0: And yeah, we'll just get to going. So, Justine, did we talk about the fact that the USDA released their final rule for hemp, which was two years, uh, two years after the crop was actually federally legalized, as reported by MarijuanaMoment.net? Did we share that headline?
1: We didn't. I don't think
0: we don't. You but don't think so? You okay. know
1: who we need to talk to about that? I think so. IHGA.
0: Yeah, IHGA. So we're joined with Chris and Rachel. From the Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Welcome back to the show, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting us back. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Cole. Yeah. Before we get too far into uh, the topic that I just brought up or anything else, um, tell us where we can find the Illinois. Hem- tell us about the Illinois Hemp Growers Association first of all, because you you guys came on during the early days, so you know some of our new listeners may not be uh, familiar. So tell us about yourselves. Uh, Tell us where we can find you online. Sure. You can find us at IllinoisHGA.com. We are a membership organization where we're we're grassroots um, focused, uh, you know, on, on what's best for the Illinois hemp industry Um, network connections, uh, helping our members. And, you know, just like anyone basically in the state who's interested in hemp and, you know how to get involved? Where can I find resources? Um, yeah, we're here to just help and uh, be a resource to anyone who's looking for them. Awesome! Be the one sh- one-stop shop for a hemp farmer in Illinois. Eh?
2: Yeah, we definitely try to be, um, you know, it's still very early days in the industry, but yeah, we've learned a lot. We've been doing this since 2018. And even before that, we, uh, we advocated for the crops, legalization and industrial use. Um, and we're just, we're really happy to be able to help people in Illinois learn more and and do more with, uh, with cannabis.
0: Absolutely. So, um, why don't we, uh, return to that, that big topic I kind of brought up at the beginning of the show, cause I feel like it would impact Illinois hemp growers. So can you tell us about the final ru- ruling? What does it mean? Um, yeah, what does it mean for the uh, industry?
2: Okay. So yeah, initially what they, what the USDA put out was, uh, it was an interim final rule and that was, it was about a year ago, actually, um, that the interim final rule, it was like they had a comment period where uh, you could send it, send in your comments. And I think they got thousands, like five thousand, six thousand comments on this. And um, just to give you a quick rundown on, on like the most common things that people wanted to see in their comments to the USDA, um, they wanted to increase the total allowable THC percentage from 0.3 up to one percent. Um, and then there was there was also some like debate over you know do we test for total THC percentage or do we test for um, delta nine THC only? Uh, but uh, in the final rule, um, what they did was they held to the .3 percentage because um, that's that's what's in the Farm Bill. That's actually the letter of the law. Is it, it has to be .3. Um and they are sticking to the total THC as well. So they're testing for um, the combination of THCA and Delta nine. Um, and they, what they did do though, was um, they increased the negligent threshold. So like if you violate the, the total allowable THC of 0.3 and say you grow something that's like 0.5 um, under the interim final rule that was considered a negligent violation. But um, under the final rule, um, it's, they bumped it up to 1% so that um, it's less likely that you will receive what they call a negligent violation, which could potentially carry some penalties like you know, eventually you could be stripped of your license to grow, uh, things like that if you have repeated negligent violations. Um, so we didn't get everything we want out of out of uh, the comment period on the interim final rule because almost everyone, people all over the whole country, Illinois, Kentucky, um, all the way up to Oregon and California and Florida, like all of these people were asking for an increase to the THC allowable THC percentage, um, but we didn't get that, um, and that's that's because of that definition uh, in the 2018 Farm Bill that defines industrial hemp as. Um, cannabis that has 0.3% THC or less. So that needs to change if, if we're gonna be increasing the THC limit, that's what has to change. And lucky for us in 2022, that's when a new farm bill is going to have to be written. So that, that would be our opportunity. Um, and it seems that right now, I mean, just overall high level on this whole USDA hemp rule thing before I get into any more details, um, it seems like that's kind of what they're doing here is they're just they're kicking the can down the road until we can get a new farm bill on the books. Um, I think everybody realizes that 0.3 is crazy. Even the person who came up with that 0.3 percentage uh, basically says that it was arbitrary and um, it's that 1% would probably be a, be a better dividing line. Um, so, you know, we're we're still very hopeful that we'll have a good resolution to this rather than having all the hemp growing uh, in the foreseeable future have to adhere to this 0.3% uh, limit. So I know that was a mouthful just on the first topic, but I think that's, that's probably the most important one uh, yeah. moving on, moving on from there. There's a lot more uh, sort of uh, quality of life and, and um, like mechanical type issues. That um, are going to affect hemp growers on a daily basis, or at least on a a seasonal basis. Um, The next big one that everybody was concerned with in the interim final rule, and um, it it made it to the final rule, um, was the DEA laboratory certification. So um, basically, what they're saying is DEA labs or every laboratory that does cannabinoid analysis has to be registered with the DEA to be able to handle controlled substances, even though, you know, their intent is to be testing legal agricultural substances known as industrial hemp. But because of the possibility that these products can test or these, uh, you know, these agricultural commodities can test higher than 0.3, well, now all of a sudden you're holding a controlled substance technically it's not like it's, you know, it's, it's in any way dangerous, but uh, DEA wants to be involved with that. USDA wants DEA to be involved with that because of the way the laws are laid out in the books right now. Um, and, and by the law, if you do everything exactly by the book, you're technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, so yeah, it, it, they basically what they did in the final rule was they extended, uh, they. Extended the deadline so that uh, the DEA won't have to become involved in the the coming growing season for 2021. But um, between uh, or during the 2022 season, uh, they are still required. All labs are still required to be um, registered with the DEA if they're going to be testing cannabinoids. Which is going to make it more difficult for hemp farmers because they're not going to be able to. Get their testing done in a timely fashion. It, it takes longer to find a DEA certified lab. Uh, not all of them are, and, and, and all you need is the right equipment. If you have the right equipment, like that's our opinion, is if you have the right equipment and the right education, like you should be able to run a lab. You shouldn't have to deal with federal government um, being worried about what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're testing. You know, it's just you're just running sure. a liquid chromatography machine. Um, so. Um, we, we, we generally, uh, think that it's not necessary, but at the same time, um, with the way the laws are, we totally understand it. So, um, that, that's something that, again, it can be remedied by changing, uh, the farm bill. Um, so the next one was the, like I already mentioned, was the criminal liability. Um, it's, it's not, it's. It's negligent threshold is what it's called in the final rule, um, and they they increased it to one percent. So that actually, uh, they did listen to the comments that were, you know, the overwhelming majority of comments that were uh, related to this. And you know, zero point five percent is an overly strict and arbitrary threshold for potential negligent violations. Um, and then the the other thing they changed was the sampling protocol. So um, the issue with the original issue was that sampling from the top third of the plant does not accurately represent the actual cannabinoid content of the entire plant. So they did a couple of things when they changed the, uh, the final rule, right. They, they went from, uh, uh, sampling just the top third of the plant to sampling the entire plant instead of just the, basically just the, the top colas or the inflorescence, um, because of this, Many more compliant tests will be possible with this sampling scheme, but overall CBD percentage will also go down on the test. But the market will adjust to that because everybody will understand okay, it's a new sampling method. So now things that were t- testing out at 15% TA or 15% CBD are now testing at 10. But um, overall, uh, everyone is passing more and more tests. And once the flower is separated from the stalk and the rest of the plant, the, the CBD is still there. Um, so uh, the most interesting thing about the way they're changing the sampling method though, um, is there's, they, they wrote in flexibility for states and tribes to eliminate compliance testing in certain circumstances. So if you're, for example, using certified seed or you have a history of compliance, um, then you may not necessarily have to ever test your crop for compliance. Um, and you'll, you'll be able to just harvest based on the type of seed that you have because the, they know that those genetics are good. Um, so that, that again is it's you're, they're opening they weren't able to change that 0 point three, but they're trying to open as many windows and doors as possible to um, get farmers to be able to uh, pass this, this overly strict compliance limit. The other thing they did that was a big um, change is the timing of the sample collection. So not only are they changing the sampling method, but they're changing the the timing of the sampling collection. So they're going from 15 days uh, to 30 days so that you can collect a sample 30 days prior to harvesting and it will still be considered a valid compliance test. So you can go out and take a sample of of a cannabis plant that's four weeks into flowering and test it and it'll be compliant. And then you can grow it for four more weeks um, and whatever that ends up being um, that um, you can take it to essentially full mature maturity and not have to worry about it because you have your compliant test from week four now your flowers in week eight but your your test is compliant your products compliant um, so that along with the new sampling method, it's like, you're guaranteed if you, if you sample 30 days prior to harvest and you do a whole plant sample, you're, it, there's no way that you're not going to pass unless you're just growing straight THC crop. Like if you're growing any, any kind of hemp, you're going to be growing, uh, compliant basically. So yeah, they yeah. opened up. That's my, that's my take on it is like, everybody's like, oh, 0.3 THC. it still, it sucks. You know, it's, uh, it, we we still have all these shitty rules and basically it's like you just got to look read into it because they like i said they opened so many windows and doors here um, that you, you should be able to easily pass compliance testing now
0: let's let's be real though is the 0.3 thing just because people are worried about somebody else getting high i mean what it, like you say it is arbitrary even the person that uh came up with it would, would admit it themselves i just my thing is like with, with the way that some of these products are repurposed, I'm just like, why does it matter? Like if it's going to be made into a shirt, why does it matter if it has point, you know, over point three THC in it? I just hope, I hope we, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir on this one. I just hope we get to the a place in the world, which is what you're saying. So I know I'm preaching to the choir um, where that doesn't matter. Like my thing is it's a crop. I mean, from your perspective, does the industrial uses, do the industrial uses go down just because the THC percentage went up, putting aside the fact that you might want to smoke it instead of turning it into an industrial product.
2: No, not at all. And I think there's been some, there has been some movement on trying to make that happen, to where, you know, if the crop is specifically a fiber variety, and, and again, this is in that wind, or this is in that uh, that flexibility and sampling method, right? Yeah. So if you're using a certified seed variety that's supposed to grow fiber plants that are 12 feet tall maybe the state's going to say, okay, you're fine. You know, if it tests 2% THC, whatever, it's a 12 foot tall fiber plant. Uh, there's not good, the, all the flour that's going to be on there is going to be sparse and, yeah. and uh, not really worth smoking anyway. I mean, yes, you, maybe if you, um, if you cut off all the tops and run it on it, run it through extraction and then <laughs> concentrate it and then try to go into, you know, make some hash out of it or something like maybe, but that seems like a whole lot of work for
0: 2% material. Okay. um, So we're finally getting to that place. Cause I mean, like I've always said, like, I think the last time we talked to you, I asked you like, have you ever heard of any kids sneaking onto farms and stealing weed? And you were like, nah, not, you know, not really. It's here or there. I think that's what your reply was. But I, I use the analogy, the flip side of like how many kids go and try to steal corn in the fields and like, Wouldn't they be so, you know, so disappointed to learn that's not sweet corn, you know, and the analogy is that if I were to go to a hemp farmer and steal hemp, I'm going to be disappointed to roll it up and find out it's not that, right? Um, Seems like we're finally getting to a place, I guess is what I'm trying to say, where that is the world, you know, where it's like, yeah, the the likelihood of them doing that is so low that we're not even going to worry about testing it. I'm glad we're finally getting there, you know? Yeah, and that's a good
2: analogy. I mean, you... You definitely it it would take a lot of effort to get a buzz off of a two percent plant. One <laughs> yeah. percent is pretty conservative, and um, yeah, I mean nobody nobody grows over like just at a high level view, right? Nobody grows hemp plants thinking, oh maybe maybe I can get some kind of THC yield off of these plants. Like everybody starts out growing hemp with the intention to either grow CBD or fiber or grain. Nobody's intending to grow uh, non-compliant strains and sometimes it happens. So nobody should be punished for that. And there should be a lot of flexibility regarding that because it's such a new crop.
0: Absolutely, so Justine, did you, you had some questions I know queued up, but before we moved on from the USDA hemp ruling, I just had a few other things um, written down. I think it's pretty cool that they're changing the sampling protocol and they're also like from your like you said, they're changing the timing of the sampling collection to almost ensure that you have a compliant product. Is that kind of what you see behind the motivations of like not only the protocol to help people pass more tests, right? and give you or actually more accurate results? Um, but then also, you know, to keep you on track, does that seem to be the motivation behind those rules?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's they understand that they're putting farmers between a rock and a hard place, and this is only for you know harvest compliance testing. After the product gets to the processor, the processor is gonna they're gonna extract it, they're gonna remediate it, and they're gonna dilute it to the point where. It's it is a compliant product. It's never going to reach the stream of commerce before um, it it becomes compliant. So this this whole compliance rule, this 0.3 compliance rule, it it only affects the farmers, and it only takes crop and effort and yield and and profit and everything away from the farmers. It, that's that's where it stops. If if you grow non-compliant, it doesn't make it anywhere else. So. it's, uh, it's on, it's an uneven distribution of risk in the industry to basically only go after the farmers for something that is like, like I said before, it's a new crop and there needs to be more flexibility.
1: Yeah. So Chris, what are some things that, cause you said that they're going to have to basically create a new farm bill. And I know that, Um, from what we, what I've been reading and listening to, um, that even though this is called the final rule, do you feel that there's still like some, some room for improvement and what kind of improvements would you like to see? Oh yeah.
2: I mean, right. If there is a new farm bill, USDA will basically have to come up with a new rule. So yeah, like at most this rule is going to exist for a year. Um, and then what would I like to see out of it? Uh, I would like to see the USDA completely eliminate the DEA from this because it's uh, an agricultural commodity. It's, it should be as common as corn. Um, and I would also like to see them basically just not define hemp as based on any percentage of cannabinoid content of anything. Um, the, the technology and the processes are out there to um, extract and blend cannabinoids in any ratios from any number of cannabis plants that we want. Um, I think the legislation and the regulation is so far behind where the industry is. Like everybody in the industry knows you can you can do whatever you want nowadays with whatever blend of cannabinoids you ha- you want plus whatever terpenes and you can make anything taste like anything and have any effect you want. So it's it's crazy to be locked in on targeting farmers for growing hemp plants that may be 0.5 THC, when everybody knows you can you can completely you can go T free T free distillate is a thing, everybody knows it's a thing, so it's just it's it's to me it's contradictory or it's just like I said it's just so far behind where we are right now. Yeah, um, that that would be the the main two things I would want to see out of uh, a new USDA rule.
1: I think that's pretty fair to ask for. Um with that though, do you feel that there needs to be more of a division between like the CBD based hemp farming that's going to be more for like CBD smokables and topicals and that kind of thing versus the more um like grain what's I'm he trying said, to He said fiber and grain. Fiber and grain. Yeah, yeah. do you see that do you think that there needs to be more of a division there as far as in the government's eyes?
2: Yeah, and there already is somewhat like uh, the products, right? The end result of hemp seed coming from like a grain crop, that's that's not subject to like compliance testing or THC. T- like they're not worried about how much THC makes it into the hemp seed oil, even though there may be trace amounts of it in there. Okay. Um, they're, not, they're not worried about how much THC is in your bale of hemp fiber. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, I think what, what, the, what a lot of the growers are concerned about is having that, um, I, I, what you would call it, is setbacks, basically. Like, you have, you have people who are really interested in growing fiber and grain as a row crop. But this also uh, ends up affecting the CBD growers because of the pollen that gets released. So that I think would be where the government could step in and potentially say like, okay, if you're gonna do this, you need to notify people at least to say, hey, I'm growing fiber here and you may not want to be growing outdoor CBD um, you know within a mile of me or you may want to set up windbreaks. If you have windbreaks set up, you know, just consider that you are at risk for having your crops seeded. And I think the only way a program like that gets developed enough in a comprehensive enough way is with, you know, government backing, there needs to be uh, some extra subsidization of a program like that um, to really make it work.
0: Yeah. Well, from what we read um, you know, there's hope that some of this change will uh, come under uh, what seems to be a cannabis uh, friendly administration at the federal level. So um, let's hope that, that they meet that mold that's been set, you know, and uh, deliver some promising and, and good change, you know, for both the cannabis industry, but, but also the hemp industry, you know, so.
2: Yeah, Good. and I, I agree with you. They're they're more cannabis friendly than the uh, the previous administration, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. and, you know, uh,
0: at least they're not talking about uh, you know, IQ drops behind closed doors of people that use <laughs> cannabis, right? I don't know if you ever saw that, but that's Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, we, we, like we don't the, have to go there. <laughs> well the previous the
2: previous Secretary of Health and Human Services was quoted as saying there's no such thing as medical marijuana.
0: Which, oh, yeah. We had a clip of him, I think, on the podcast one time. Uh, he's a lovely, lovely individual.
2: Right. Um, but it, uh, but, you know, like I said, I agree they're more friendly towards cannabis than the previous administration, but basically they are. They're still they're still interested in in perpetuating uh, like overly burdensome regulation on the industry. Like they yeah. want to turn it into a cash cow. They want to tax everyone on everything, um, and you know, regulation should be strictly for the pro- purpose of promoting public safety. Uh, anything else perpetuates illegal markets, and it won't it won't put an end to the social problems co- that are caused by prohibition. So the like, basically, that's all they're doing is it's a, it's. Uh, it's almost an extension of the war on drugs, even though it's, it's got a different name and a different face. Now it's okay. Now if you want to grow, you need to buy an expensive license. You need to follow all these regulations. You need to make sure that your product tests as clean as a pharmaceutical grade chemical. You need to, you need to make sure that all your products are FDA approved, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, um, you know, I don't, I don't know any farmers that are uh, subject to that level of, strict regulation uh, when they grow corn or soybeans or <laughs> right <else.
0: laughs> yeah exactly i just it's crazy they treat you like you're growing cocaine and it's just like it's it's if it, at worst it's like point three percent get thc you know so and like you say in a lot of the fiber you're not gonna get that you know you're not gonna get high off of that right. so so
2: the the more act which is like the big, the big, uh, lead cannabis legalization legislation that's being pushed. All it does, it continues to maintain that, uh, you know, THC, THC is, uh, is a, is a substance that, you know, is, is needs to be highly regulated. Uh, even though, you know, all of us know that that's not the case. Um, and it continues to, to treat it as though, um, it needs to be constantly um, uh, just, uh, I guess the best word for it is uh, monitored or just, just uh, yeah. like they, it, it, they really, they need to be more hands off when it comes to the cannabis industry across the entire industry.
0: I mean, literally part of the Cole memorandum, which I always like to bring up since my name's is Cole, um, is that – and it was a federal ruling from the Obama administration that basically just – it was the first time the feds took like a hands-off approach to cannabis uh, businesses um, with the exception that – and one of, the, one of the qualifying exceptions was that, yeah, you had to have a seed to sale – system so that's where all of this all of that really came from and like you say it's still there we need to track it we need to know where it is we can't you know gotta regulate it like it's a gun <laughs> they regulate it more than guns i'd argue you know they yeah. or at least they're trying to but again we don't have to go there <laughs> so um justine I've, I've got a few other questions for you guys but justine had come up with a few questions so i'm gonna let her take the reins um unless we have anything else on the usda final ruling
1: No, no, not really. My questions are mostly, um, you know, I put it out there to my coworkers that we were going to be in contact with the IHGA and ask them if you could ask a hemp farmer anything, what would you like to ask? So we got, um, I got a pretty good response to that. Um, some of the questions are a little bit more, I would say easier, a little more basic, and then some of them are a lot more in depth. Um, So we'll start with some of the kind of easier ones. One of those being what approximately how long does it take for hemp to go from seed to harvest? Is that kind of the same as a traditional cannabis plant about 12 weeks? Or does it really uh,
0: depend on uh, if it's CBD, fiber, or grain? Does that change it at all?
2: Yeah, it definitely does. Um, So yeah, depending on what type of hemp you're growing, I mean, if it's like a regular uh if you're growing for flower you're going to want it to go all the way to what you call biological maturity which on on a flower on a plant for flower would be eight to 12 weeks of flowering Um, so it's it's normally like yeah 12 weeks is like an accelerated timeline for the life cycle of a plant like, I think most plants are not ready to harvest until at least eight weeks into flowering. And a lot of people misjudge, like, when flowering actually starts. Like, they'll see they'll, some people, like, especially in indoor grows, they'll switch it over to, um, they'll switch their light cycle from 18.6 to 12.12, 12, and then they'll say that's the first day of flowering. But typically, like it takes it could take a week or maybe even more for the plant to switch over into flowering. So a lot of people are like a week earlier on their estimate for flowering. And then when they get to week eight, they're like they're like, well, on the seed packet, it said, uh, you know, it's supposed to go for eight weeks. So I just chopped it. And now it's hanging. And it's like you probably should have waited at least another week, if not two. To make sure that you were fully ripe and that everything was as you know fat and pungent and potent as it can be.
1: Yeah, that, for sure.
2: We we ran into that with indoor grow um, last time we did an indoor grow, but uh, with the and it's the same story for um, outdoor grown CBD. I mean, you really don't have control over the light cycle. But what we've noticed in in the field is that. Every plant benefits from going a little longer in the field and a little bit longer. Like you push every plant all the way until like mid October, and you can plant it in like early May. And you just you you plant it out in early May or even late April, and you can push it all the way until October. And just you just got to watch it. Every plant's going to be different based on the soil, like the soil and the sun. Are going to do what they're going to do that season it's always going to be different even if you grow the same exact seed stock one season to the next in the same exact spot in the dirt and you have the same nutrients and everything you're still going to have different results that's that's part of like the art of farming is like there it's not a pure science it's you can do everything you can for consistency you're still not going to get it um but it's uh you know, that's in the flower world, right? So like moving on, just to quickly uh, wrap that up, when you do grain, you also go to biological maturity, which is like full ripeness where the seeds are set and 80% of them are ripe enough to be considered viable where you could grow from them. Um, And then you, you pull it at that point. So again, like eight weeks into flowering, maybe 10 or 12 weeks into flowering. Um, and then for fiber, what you go to is technical maturity, which, um, is, can happen in as short as 75 days, maybe 80 days after you plant. Um, and technical maturity is right at the onset of flowering. So as soon as the male plants start to shed pollen, that would be your cue to chop the whole crop and leave it on the ground, let it rat and then bale it up and windrow it almost like you would, uh windrow it and bale it up almost like you would in a a hay operation.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I I can only imagine that like any other plant, um, each batch of genetics, each purpose that it serves can really affect the amount of time that you let it grow before you chop it down. So thank you for that perspective.
2: Yeah, and like that's that's why I say eight to 12 weeks because there's some that ripen early. Some people would call that more like an indica dominant and then there's some that ripen. They'll take forever to ripen. They'll just keep stacking up new flowers on top of old flowers. And uh, a lot of people call that sativa dominant. I know there's, right now, it's a pretty hot topic of debate whether or not indica or sativa even mean anything anymore at this point. But that's, that's kind yeah. of just like the only dividing the only like jargon I could throw at it to say this one's an early finisher or late finisher. This one's short and squat. This one's tall and sparse. You know, that that's, that's the only way that I, that, that, you know, and I think we're all kind of around the same age. I mean, that's kind of what we grew up with.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Do you see any future in the can? Well, especially the, I see the hemp industry is a little bit more agricultural oriented. I do want to make that like separation. I know that it's the same right now. uh, like, if you're a hemp farmer, you can grow for CBD grain or hemp and that's fine. I'm not disputing that. I just, um, I, what, where was I going with that? Damn it. What were we just talking about? Sorry. Versus oh yeah. Do you see any um, future in like employing what you might argue is the actual terms, which is like variety or cultivar. Do you see, are you seeing that at all uh, start to pop out or are people still calling it strains or, Are they just calling it like this is a fiber seed? Like what are they, what what is the jargon that they're throwing around?
2: Yeah. And in the ag world, it's definitely varietal or varieties. Um, Yeah. They, uh, they'll say this is a fiber variety that, you know, is specific or is like, that is especially cold hardy or tolerant of wet soils. You know, they're definitely moving towards that uh, almost like seed catalog jargon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's just uh, something that I always rant about on this show that I think is wrong with the the consumption side of the industry, which is that like, yeah, like you're saying, people tend to break it up into like a three pronged approach, sativa, indica, or hybrid. And it's obviously more nuanced than that. So I just wanted to ask um, from your guys' perspective, since like you say, that's kind of varietals, varieties that, that those are words farmers throw around, you know, and they're looking at getting different crops and stuff. So I wondered if it extended to the hemp side of their job. So. Yeah.
1: Um, so another question that we had was, um, do you see an effective difference in hemp derived CBD versus CBD from flowering plants?
2: an effective difference um, to, from hemp derived CBD versus CBD from flowering plants. You
0: might- I think what they mean by that, if I might jump in it, just cause that, that kind of, the question was weird for me too, Chris. Um, what I think they mean by that is, do you see a difference in the effectiveness of CBD for a, uh, for CBD that's grown in a compliant plant, like, you know, a purely legal CBD at the federal level, or, or like, do you see any difference in some of the CBD you can find at like a dispensary? I think, is that, would you say that's the question? I
1: would think so. Yeah. And like, as far yeah. as the effects go and.
0: Yeah. That's,
2: yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what they meant. Um, so yeah, I think there's two things on that. One, I mean, the, the easy answer is no. If you're just like uh, objectively right. comparing the molecule coming off the plant, it's CBD right. is CBD. But I think the, the underlying parts of that is they may be hinting at sort of the, uh, the entourage effect where some smaller percentage of THC mixed in with your CBD. For a lot of people I know, they say it makes it feel more effective. It just makes it better overall experience. So when you, when you get stuff in the dispensary, it's, it's typically like you know uh, a ratio. They have like four to one or eight to one. You know, there's always some amount of THC mixed in with it. Usually you don't have pure CBD products, but, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where it comes from is the, the or that's kind of where they're coming from with this question is, uh, is there a difference? No, but, um, you know, the, being able to have THC with your CBD, I think a lot of people make, make, makes it, uh, makes a lot of people think that it, it can be more effective where it just is better overall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, for sure. Um, Another question that we had, are your members commonly growing hemp as a field crop, or are you seeing more people growing in indoor facilities?
2: Most are growing outdoors for CBD. Um, and then a significant portion of those CBD growers are growing in greenhouses, like elevated high tunnels or hoop houses okay. or, you know, like plastic yeah. covered metal frame structures. Um, just like you would grow, you know, your lettuce and any, any other like hothouse crops, tomatoes, things like that. Um, so that's definitely really popular, I think, in Illinois. It's, I still think that like a majority, I mean, based on pure acreage, it's definitely outdoor CBD But based on like maybe based on the numbers, I think, you know, people are getting higher quality stuff out of their greenhouses. Um, And if you were to if you were to go like, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at dollar amounts, I would say it's probably pretty close because a lot of the stuff. Chrissy there. Rachel, are you there? That was done out, purely outdoor stuff that was done, high quality biomass.
0: Oh, sorry. I think we lost you just for a second. I I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're back though.
2: Okay. Yeah. It's, I just got a message that my, it said my internet was, uh, in and out. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just start from where I was at. Did you hear me say that most of our members are growing outdoors for CC? Yes. Yes, We did
0: hear that part. Yep.
2: Yeah, and then a good amount of them are, of those growers are growing in greenhouses. And I think that that's kind of where I got cut off.
0: Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Where, yep. Yeah. So they're growing
2: in greenhouses. And um, I think
0: if you look at
2: like the footprint, um, I, you know, by acreage, it's definitely outdoors for sure. But maybe by dollar amounts, it, it might be comparable because outdoor grows generated a lot of biomass, whereas greenhouse grows generated a lot of smokable flower and, um, like higher quality biomass, you know, higher overall CBD percentages, more controlled conditions, higher, greater yields per square foot, things like that. Um, but only a small minority, I think of the CBD growers are actually growing in like a warehouse style cultivation center, you know, similar to what you see with, uh, with the cannabis cultivators for medical and, uh, recreational adult use. Um, and then I would say a very small minority of our members have been experimenting with, uh, hemp as a row crop, uh, for fiber and grain, definitely some of them, but, uh, you know, in in overall terms of overall percentage, it's, it's pretty low. It's less than 10%. Man,
0: that's, I want to'll I want to get back to that uh, in the future. I've got a question kind of aligned with like it's kind of on the on the lines of like why don't we see more fiber, but we'll we'll hold that question. I want to continue going with the questions you have.
1: okay. Um, have your members been able to get access to enough processing capacity to consistently process their harvests?
2: Yeah. Um... You know, this question comes up a lot and it's it's an issue that I think a lot of states and just in general, everyone who grows hemp has dealt with is like, where are all the processors, what even is a processor, what you know, what are my options. Um, But the issue that we've identified is that there usually is enough access to processing capacity. Um, the, The trouble is, it's that the growers typically don't like the deal that they're being given by the processor. Uh, Oftentimes it's fairly high price per pound to uh, what they would call a toll process, um, or they would do what they call a split process, which uh, often is a 60-40 split with the grower getting 40%. Um, So a lot of times when the growers get to the end of the season and complete harvesting, they're low on resources and they end up taking a deal or having the choice of taking a deal where either they pay thousands of dollars upfront before they can sell anything, or uh, give away more than half of their work for the season in order to be able to see any money from it. And it's a pretty tough choice. And a lot of people, instead of making that choice right away, they kind of just sit on it and hope that a better opportunity comes by. And um, there's plenty of farmers that have product left over from 2019 that are still looking to sell. Um, And 2020 already is in the books and either they grew or they grew less in 2020 than they did in 2019 or they didn't grow at all because they're still looking to market what they already had.
0: Right. They don't want to sink themselves deeper into it.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, doing pretty well a year's worth of work and turning over all of your product and being told that you can only get 40% of the profits off it. Like that's
0: like, I did a hundred percent of the fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, what? you know, so.
2: That's just another one of those like uneven distribution of risk, right? It's just, it's yeah. exact same as the compliance testing. It's all on the farmer and it's, that's why, you know, the IHGA exists. We want people to know this. We want to help the farmers And we don't, we don't take any money from them other than uh, a very minimal membership fee for the year, which is 25 bucks.
0: (laughs) Hell yeah. Shout out to Illinois Hip Growers Association doing the good thing. No highway route right there. (laughs) Hell yeah.
1: Excellent. Well, this next question I really liked because it also kind of taught me a little bit more about the United States, which is awesome. Um, So in the West, grape growers and orchard operations need to harvest at the same time as hemp, leading to significant labor shortages for many growers. What crops or industries are hemp growers competing for planting and harvesting work um, in Illinois?
0: Hmm, That is a good question.
2: There is a bunch of them, actually. Um, In Illinois in September and October, uh, which is, you know, that's when you'd be harvesting hemp for cbd at least and hemp for grain um you're typically harvesting apples asian pears beans broccoli cabbage greens herbs pumpkins squash sweet potatoes tomatoes and watermelons in other words like farmer's market crops right um so it's so um, for the most part, that means that any labor that might typically be involved with harvesting work for local produce growers, for example, CSA producers or farmers market sellers could potentially be lured away from their usual place of employment to a hemp farm. Um, however, you know what we found is that most of our members employ friends and family to help them with the labor on their hemp farm, rather than hiring like itinerant agricultural workers. But um, this, You know, I'm glad you brought this up because it gets into the bigger picture, uh, the the lack of availability of skilled workers for the agricultural industry. Um, There are some of the hardest working and most underpaid people on the planet working in agriculture right now. And uh, that's part of why we support hemp is because we believe it can create more demand and better pay for skilled agricultural workers and to improve their working conditions as well. Um, I think working on a hemp farm can be fun uh, and I, you know, from what we've seen, we've, we've had a lot of fun on them so far. Um, we're always happy to visit anyone who's got a farm or who's growing hemp. You know, that's one of our favorite things to do is come out and just hang out with them on their farm and talk to them.
0: Hell Yeah.
1: I mean, it's got to be hard to have a bad day when you farm hemp. I mean, you're kind of, you get a little bit of chaos because you're kind of on the edge of the law almost, even though you're doing something totally legal and everybody, like it may look to the outside world, like you are growing traditional cannabis, but it's not. So plus you're just out in the sun and having fun and usually you don't have to tend to a ton of animals if you're growing crops, right?
0: Yeah. I'm so jealous of Chris Chris and Rachel. I'm so jealous of your summers because you guys just post pictures like out in the fields. Sometimes when I'm sitting in the office and I'm like, "Damn. I'd kill to be out in the middle of a field right now." You know, especially of hemp. For
1: sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really nice like
2: 90% of the time. 10% of the time it sucks. <laughs> it's either too hot or there's too many bugs or Uh, there's a hell of a lot of work to do and there's no more sunlight left or you know there's stuff like that always comes up but yeah the the life of a farmer is i mean farming is the ultimate job it's you have to know everything about everything to be successful so
0: yeah and it's a big gamble i mean it's you know you're talking about those people that are still sitting on product and part of the thought process is like well i don't know if i want to put more seeds into the ground if i can't even get rid of this you know and so some yeah it's a farming is tough and i mean getting into it is is even tougher that's the thing i think that's why everybody's jumping at the bit right now because i feel like it's nearly impossible like if i wanted to realistically get into the farming game i don't think that's what farmers say they're not like i'm gonna get into the farming game but if i'm trying to get you know become a farmer it's just not real realistic right now but now is a better time than ever to become a, a hemp farmer because it's pretty, pretty achievable in this state, you know? So um, at least license wise, right? It's not, am I correct, Chris? It's not very prohibitive to get a hemp license in the state of Illinois. And by that, I mean, cost prohibitive. Like what is it, what does it cost for a license?
2: No, anyone who's got $475 and has not been arrested for a, a drug related felony in the past 10 years can get themselves a hemp license and grow as long as they have access to suitable space to, to grow it.
1: Woo!
0: That's awesome. That's America right there. I
1: hear the farm calling our name, Cole.
0: Yeah. I hear (laughs) hear it. I smell it too.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And this actually um, leads really well into the next question that we had. Um, So, what are kind of your demographics of the hemp growers in your? Um, association? Are there many that are longtime farm operators that are just trying hemp out now as something new, or are you seeing primarily new farmers coming into the market specifically to grow hemp?
2: Um, We definitely had some, a lot of interest from traditional row croppers. A lot of them, um, they think that they can just go out there with their tractor and their combine and plant out (laughs) hemp. Initially, that's what they think they can they can do and to to get into the industry. But then, you know, um, basically explain to them if you wanna use that type of equipment, you're either gonna be growing for fiber and grain and then the whole, you know, the whole CBD thing isn't really in the picture anymore. They they either lose interest or they become really interested in potentially trying out fiber or grain. And we definitely had some row croppers doing fiber, Um, but you're right though, like um, as far as demographics, um, I would say that most, most of the growers are not new to farm operations, but the number of hemp growers new to farming is definitely above average compared to other crops. And it, I think it's cool that hemp draws in people to farming. And I think yeah. uh, we, had, we had a really good friend that was like his favorite joke for a while. It was, uh, you know, uh, cannabis is not a gateway to uh, it's not a gateway drug. It's a gateway to farming
1: hell yeah
0: have you seen randy marsh on fucking south park all tegrity of a sudden yeah. all of a sudden this dude's wearing a car heart stained pants and boots i mean he's a fucking full-fledged farmer yeah look at him look at him go yeah
2: i got a i got a i got a sticker that says tegrity weed on my medicine cabinet <laughs> i
1: yeah. love it i love it yeah and i mean like to that point too i've never um you know, eaten edamame and drank soy milk and been like, by God, I got to grow this shit. I love soybeans so much, but you know, when it comes to hemp and seeing how much of a difference it could make in the world and then pairing it with just an overall love for cannabis that makes it something that you could actually plan for your future, like something that you could realistically want to do someday.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so another question, how receptive have local ag extension offices been to hemp growers? And are your members able to access any of those resources that traditional farmers can benefit from? God
0: damn, Justine, you got some good questions.
1: The, so for context, the person who submitted these questions, um, he actually helped write the compliance law for the state of Oregon. Okay. So, so he's just really interested. He's super interested. Okay. Shout, Shout out to like, Will. Thank you for questions. these awesome questions.
2: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a very good and very targeted question. And it's, it's, um, I think it's very like prescient to the moment right now, actually. Um, Absolutely. You know, Illinois, Illinois Extension has been putting their best foot forward to do everything they can to support hemp growers. Uh, there's a guy named Philip Alberti who's been hard at work organizing events and putting together uh, what they're calling the Midwestern Hemp Database. Uh, It's a resource for providing research-backed regional insight into agronomic performance and cannabinoid development of industrial hemp varieties in the Midwest. So they started this at the beginning of this season and they Collected as much data as possible. Basically, what they did was they got farmers to sign up to provide as all the uh, all the metrics they were looking for throughout the season, and in return, they got uh, discounts on cannabinoid profiling. So they were able to partner with a laboratory um, and get farmers in to get super cheap compliance tests and collect all this data, you know, to benefit everyone. And, um, if you're interested in checking it out, it's live now and it's on the Illinois Extension website. You do, all you have to do is just Google Illinois Extension Midwestern Hemp Database and it'll come right up. Um, nice. And the other thing though, I mean, the other side of that coin, it's like, yeah, it's cool. They've got, this, they've got this new database and they've done a lot, but Illinois Extension is suffering from a lack of funding from the state. Um, and they're also pretty hesitant to offer up like specific agronomic guidance to farmers. Um, because there's not a lot of information out there and the lack of research uh, has been pretty bad over the past few decades. So they, you know, they wanna provide modern and reliable information and they're working with a lot of constraints. So they admit, uh, some farmers out there, we've heard complaints like, oh, the extension isn't very helpful. It's like, well, there's, you know, there's a lot to that. And it, it but from, from some perspectives, you know, it can be a little bit frustrating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that that could be very frustrating indeed. Um, So the last question that I have for you here, for those first entering the ag production business growing hemp, what kind of surprises or unanticipated issues are your members commonly dealing with?
2: I'm sorry. I didn't catch that one. Can you say that one again?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for those first entering the ag production business, growing hemp, what kind of surprises or unanticipated issues are your members commonly dealing with?
2: Oh, for those first entering agricultural production. Um, yeah. When you're first getting into hemp business, a lot of people, like I said, they, they're like, I'm just going to get my tractor and my combine and I'll just go out there. And I, I normally just, grow 20 acres of corn there, but I think I'll just plant 20 acres of CBD there. Um, So it's, it's a, it's a knowledge gap to start with. Um, That would be the surprise that gets them, you know, right off the bat, but then if they can get over that and, you know, they, you gotta have, there's basically from the whole spectrum, from start to finish, there's going to be surprises. um, Starting with whether or not you have access to land, um, if you have access to land, you're already way ahead of everybody else. Um, who are way, You're way ahead of a lot of people who are interested in growing hemp. Um, and then straight on down the line, sourcing reliable seed, uh, finding reliable agronomic information once you have your seed, uh, protecting your investment all the way through the, the whole process. Like once you buy seed, you're sitting on something that's gonna expire. Like you need to have a plan in place Uh, that's going to be able to get you return on that because a lot of times people are paying 30 50 75 cents a seed you know in the first season people are paying a dollar two dollars a seed um so you you want to protect your investment all the way through the process so by the time you're buying that seed um you know you want to make sure you got a plan to all the way to where you're going to be selling product um and so that involves connecting to a reliable support structure, right? And that's right now you're not getting a whole lot of that out of uh, extension or out of the state of Illinois. Um, the Department of Ag is kind of scrambling to put together more resources, but you know it's been a couple years now, and, and you know it's sure we had our first year, which was um, just you know totally rushed, and then our second year, which was COVID. So it's it's understandable why we we don't have a, as much of a support structure as we should have. Um, but that's why the IHGA has been so it's part of the reason why we've been so successful is because we, we attempt to provide that in lieu of, you know, what should be there out out there funded by the industrial hemp regulatory fund funded by uh, agronomic uh, resources from the extension and things like that. You know, we've, we've got our issues. So, um, to us, it's just another opportunity. Um, and then after you connect to a reliable support structure, um, you've got to you've got to know what type of equipment and how much labor you're going to need when you go to harvest. So that was a big issue for a lot of farmers too. Is uh, they ended up having crops just rotting in the field uh, because they couldn't either either couldn't get the equipment or the labor in there to harvest it all and store it all or bring it all to process, or they couldn't afford the bill. uh, And they didn't understand the relevant processing and marketing information to get their crop out the door. Like they were able to say they were able to harvest it all. They, like I said uh, earlier is they, some people still have it sitting around because they just, they couldn't, they didn't understand what the back end looked like for them as far as processing and marketing. Um, And then finally, Uh, Even after you go through this whole processing and marketing uh, process, like getting your hemp to a marketable state, now you have to understand uh, target what what is your target market for your finished product. Uh, Targeting suitable markets for your finished products is something that I think is it's almost beyond the scope of what farmers typically have to deal with, because you're going. This is a product, especially in the CBD world, that like basically uh it's it's nothing like any other agricultural commodity coming off the farm Um, you're you know you're selling little bottles of tincture i think uh, the the only thing that would be similar to that is if you were already running uh uh, like an operation as an herbalist and you were doing like uh, native medicine if you're doing that um then you know, you might already have a suitable market to just integrate CBD into. Or if you're an organic gardener and you're, you're selling, you know, um, aromatic herbs and, and other things, you know, very niche specialty products, then integrating CBD and other cannabis into those markets is, is wouldn't necessarily be as much of a, a surprise or an issue for you, but for everybody else, um, just figuring out who buys this stuff and, What's the best medium to interact with them? Um, you know, typically all, what we say is definitely start a website. Definitely explore your options through farmers markets. Always, always campaign uh, on word of mouth and build relationships. Get re- work, focus on getting repeat customers before you focus on going super broad and mainstream. Build yourself a following, and um, you'll find you'll find that suitable market. And for every, it, it's different for everybody, but. Uh, it's community based mostly. And, um, that's, that's another reason why we love hemp because it's just every, every angle you look at it, uh, it's, it's encouraging. It's like communal development of, um, goods and services. Well said,
0: well said. So Justin, was that, you said that, that was your last question. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, you know, um, do you mind uh, telling us some of your telling us about some of your members and what they offer? Um, you know, just to give maybe some locals some shout outs before we move on to some questions that I had. Um,
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got, um, we got a lot of sponsors lately. Like we, we have all these uh, groups that just started reaching out. Like once they saw that we were taking sponsors, um, basically what we do is just, we partner up with any hemp businesses that are local or at least regional um, or who can specifically help serve hemp growers in um so we uh, just to give you a couple shout outs because we've got like 20 what is it 20 27 of them now, yeah i
0: was looking on your website so i was hoping yeah, i was signing up for a long list but yeah and oh no yeah, um
2: <laughs> just some some of my favorites right off the top of my head um 357 hemp logistics uh tulip tree gardens
0: okay i've um, heard of tulip and... tree
2: yeah, Tulip Tree is great. They're, they do great CBD products. 357 Hemp Logistics, obviously, they're, they're like the most well-qualified people I know that can move your hemp and your hemp equipment. So if you've got some sensitive extraction equipment, we've got biomass or anything in between that you need to move, they're, they're good for that. Um, the Midwest Hemp Council out of Indiana, they, they're a great unifying force and source of information for uh, hemp farmers as well. You know, We're a member of the Midwest Hemp Council. Um, there's Terra Plenish is also a local Illinois business that's uh, OMRI listed soil regenerating microbes for organic growers, um, Global Smart Commodity Group. They're this uh, fantastic uh, economic force that is uh, just being developed now that they're basically like uh, taking the first steps to bringing hemp to, to basically be on the same status as corn, you know, on the board of trade. Um, and to develop a, a commodity market for hemp to standardize pricing and to, um, I don't know, it's, it, uh, you'll have to talk to them about it, you know, look sure. them up and talk to them about it. And they're going to be featured next, uh, coming up soon in the uh, Illinois, uh, it's the Illinois Department of Ag's Hemp Fest or Virtual Hemp Summit, um, which will be coming cool. up this month. So you'll learn more about the Global Smart Commodity Group there. Um, and then we've got we've got Zeb's Hemp. They do good genetics. Davis Farms does good genetics. Uh, uh, the Plug Supply has got genetics. Uh, Kaicha Labs does testing. Uh, Show Me Hemp Association is, is, they're like us, but out of Missouri. Uh, we got Mia Canna and Mia Vero who do processing and, and white label products. Um, and then the U.S. Hemp Building Association, which uh, Rachel is a board member of. And just Uh, all these fantastic partners that, uh, you know, just kind of snowballed. Like once somebody saw that there was a logo up on the site, they were like, oh, how did, how did they get that? How do we, how do we get that?
0: Hell uh, yeah. I, well. Just reach out. (laughs)
2: So so what we do is if you're a business, you can sponsor us and you can, you can pay 250 for the year. Um, and, and you get a deal where, you know, we'll take care of you on social media, we'll do press releases, we'll share any of your deals and coupons and special offers and your logo gets put on all the pages of our website, and you can put our logo on your website. So if you're if any of your listeners are interested in that, it's very simple. It's a little over 20 bucks a month. And you definitely I mean, with the amount of impressions and all the views and clicks and all this the session times that we have on our website, like you're you're yeah. definitely getting a hell of a value out of it. It's 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 if you're a, a business that's focused on hemp or just the cannabis industry, um, you know, give us a call and we'll get you set up.
0: Yeah. So Illinois on Twitter and Instagram at Illinois Um, just wanted to say that since we were talking about that. Um, so yeah, I've got a few other questions for you and you know, it's been a while. So we had originally booked, had you guys booked, in december and i can't remember if it was us or i don't know The i think we had you booked two times and we canceled on you and then we or we rescheduled right and then you had to reschedule so this is i think the third time we've tried to have this show but on when i thought we were going to have this show i had tagged you guys in this in this uh clip from one of my favorite podcasts that i listened to and it's it's a subject we had talked about before so I just want to play the clip really quick um, and just kind of get your take. Uh, We'll just return briefly to the subject of sustainability and ultimately fiber hemp, I think. So let's play the clip. You, You guys are reminding me of the people that wanted to legalize weed. Remember that? Legalize weed, man. It's a source for paper. You can make jackets and you can make solar panels out of it, man. Now it's legal. What are they doing? They're just trying to figure out ways to get you more fucked up. Here's a way to be high, but you can actually hold a baby with this strand. This strand right here. You're just gonna stare at the wall for fucking three days. It's like, where's the
1: paper? Huh?
0: Where are my green hemp fucking Crocs? So, on that note, um, the idea, what he's really trying to voice, is that like it seems like we haven't seen a uh, an abundance or like a real like put. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a Mike my perspective and his perspective is anecdotal. But what I'm was even picking up earlier is that you said it's kind of tough to get people to maybe get into the fiber side of hemp. And I've heard a few different perspectives on it. um, But I just wanted to hear uh, your perspective, like, what, what is it? What seems to be the hesitation to get into the fire? Is there hesitation? Did I read that wrong to get into like the fiber side of hemp?
2: Oh, there definitely is some hesitation. And I think that is mostly, uh, you know, and that could be contributing to this um, processing capacity sort of uh, issue that's been out there for a while. And, and when it comes to fiber, processing capacity is essentially nil. Um, mm-hmm. But just to, just to quickly retort that audio clip, um, where's, the, <laughs> where's the paper? Go to tinyepaper.com. That's where the paper is. That's where the hemp <laughs> good paper
0: shit, is. Good shit. Good shit. We if love you, to hear If it. you want to
2: buy some hemp paper, tinyepaper.com right there. Go buy some. So good it's shit. it's here. It's coming.
0: And um, hey, actually, I want to say too, just to retort that clip as well, because one thing I bitched about, I think when I originally played that clip in regards to the cannabis industry was... I was like, why is there so much fucking plastic? You know, why aren't we using hemp for this packaging? Well, it turns out there is a company that's kind of leading that initiative. And that's actually one of the perspectives I had got. His company's called Not Plastic. I'm going to, I'm working on bringing him onto the show. Um, he's been on some clubhouse hangouts and everything, but he was explaining that they are working into making, you know, basically, you know, bio, <clears throat> bio de- biodegradable plastics or bioplastics. Um, I'm not for certain that they're making hemp, but that's the impression that I was getting that they were using hemp. But one of the other impressions I got is that the hesitation or um, it's not even really the hesitation. It's like, there's actually barriers in place that are kind of like preventing people as I understand it, like correct me if I'm wrong from people like really getting into the abundance. Like that's why you don't see like Coca-Cola with a, uh, a hemp bottle or, you know, you're just not seeing it like really mainstream yet. And, the 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 barrier that they were saying and this is where you can correct me if i'm wrong because i know i'm rambling uh is they were saying that like production costs or something in regard to production that's why you're not seeing like a real embrace like we're definitely you know i'm not going to say i'm not seeing hemp shoes and hemp clothing and more hemp than i've ever seen before i'm not not going to say that i'm not seeing it but you know I was just hoping that around this time when it's legal everywhere, you'd see just hemp, everything. Right. You know? Um, And it just seems like we're not. So like, is there a barrier to entry? I guess is my question.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think Um, what you're getting at is like, it's the economy of scale argument, right? It's like uh, for every, for all right. Everyone always says like hemp has 25,000 uses, but like 24,000 of those uses are competing with other, uh, current products. Like, um, if you're trying to make bioplastics, like when you make bioplastics, like you're typically talking about PLA based plastic. If you're talking biodegradable and like, you can make PLA from starch, right? It can be, it can be taken from, um, other plants besides hemp. And right now, like agricultural waste products like corn stalks and things like that are cheaper. To buy, and if if all you're looking for is a source of cellulose, um, then you know that hemp isn't exactly the cheapest one.
0: But, <laughs> sure, uh, sure.
2: Basically, it's like uh, it, it's going to take a ramping period um, to to build up from basically growing fiber for experimental or research purposes up to where it's it's being used in a lot more uh, products like we have to take advantage of its, of the mechanical properties that it has that are superior um, and that it has clear advantages in certain categories. That, that's what gets you to start that economy of scale, at which right. point, you know, the more we grow, the cheaper it becomes, but the cheaper it becomes, the greater its potential uses become. So now it does compete with, um, as a cheap source of cellulose, as a, as a cheap source of other like b- um, bio, biochemical feedstocks. Um, Thank so that's, that's what I would say is we're, we're just not there yet. You know, it's, it's an exponential curve, but we're at the very low end of it right now.
0: Thank you for pointing that out. Cause that's a really good perspective to know that like, you know, like, yes, hemp could be used to be made as a, like, could be used as a bio, sorry, you know what I'm trying to say? You could be used to make a bioplastic, but there are plenty of things that could be used to make, be made into a bioplastic that are cheaper, you know, than hemp right so um uh, but that's you know it's interesting because that's always like a cons like you say that is a conspiracy or like a thing that's always been around uh the hemp and cannabis industry it's like the fact and it, a lot of people have argued that's why it's been as illegal for as long as it has is because it has competed like we talked about last time um with a lot of industries you know hemp could be a biofuel hemp could be um you guys talked about um uh, used to build buildings and stuff like infrastructure. I'm scrambling for the term right now that you guys used. Oh, yeah. but uh,
2: building materials. Yeah.
0: Building materials. There you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, Henry Ford, I think made the first, is this a myth, uh, internet myth that I just see a meme, but didn't Henry Ford uh, make the first like car out of a hemp body, you know, and it was really lightweight, but also very strong because of how fibrous it is. Is that true? Let's Google it. Um, but <laughs> so I'll, I'll Google that while we're going, unless you know that that's true. Um. It's,
2: uh, it's, uh, it's under debate, right? It's like some people, I've heard some people say, oh, it was, uh, it was actually plastic made from soybeans, those body uh, panels. And it's I just see. like, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, just like it, it's that same like old argument, right? Like anything you can make out of a hydrocarbon, you can make out of a carbohydrate.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, so it's like, yeah, but how much did it cost you to get there? Right. Um, and, it's, and so uh, for that whole hemp car thing, I think that, you know, uh, you don't need to look that far back into history to see that hemp and automobiles go well together. Um, manufacturers like BMW and Mercedes-Benz use um, hemp in their composite, uh, like plastic or co- composite resin panels that they put in their vehicles um, they, they'll put it in and uh, also use it as um, sound deadening material. Um, it can even be used as uh, like in, in the friction lining industry, but they auto manufacturers put hemp composite panels panels in their vehicles because uh, it's, it's the lightest, strongest composite panel that they can get. Um, it, they don't, you know, they don't do it because it's a sustainable crop. They do it because this is what I was talking about earlier. It has it has superior mechanical properties in this application. Um, it's the lightest and strongest material, and and lightweighting in the in the automobile industry is a big deal. So that that's why they use it. They don't care that it's it's good for the environment. They just want it because it's the best. Right. So we need to find more uses for hemp like that, and then just go gangbusters on it. Just tell Educate people about it, get people to want to grow for that specific purpose, and then get businesses to get started uh, producing uh, you know, panels and, and other, uh, other products that really help hemp fiber shine.
0: Hell yeah. I want to get back to that topic, but really quick, I wanted you guys to plug. Did you have an upcoming blog post that you wanted to promote? Is that correct or did I, I misunderstand that?
2: Uh, it's not out yet. We don't have to plug it.
0: Okay. Um, no worries. I'm, we'll move I'm right on this it
2: out, but yeah, we'll, we'll send well, you, I'll, I'll, you'll get an email from us or whatever when it comes out.
0: Perfect. Well, folks, you stay tuned for that as well. Uh, if you go to Illinois, once again, IllinoisHGA.com, HGA.com uh, you can check out their blog there and, and also uh, Twitter and Instagram at Illinois HGA. So um, let's see, yeah, I get right back to uh, just a question you just made pop in my head. Um, because we talked about it recently, we kind of went, uh, folks, if you missed the episode, uh, I was joined again by the folks uh, at High Stick, and we kind of just took, turned back the clocks and talked about the beginning of Prohibition. And one of the things we talked about was the fact that in the 40s, I think 1942, this is totally off the top of my head, after a joint. So folks, if I'm wrong. You know, go back to the episode because I was looking at the internet then. So anyways, um, I think it was 1942 though, uh, the United States government made the video hemp for victory. And it wasn't until the 80s that they actually admitted um, that they did that because there were like questions, questions coming up, you know, in the 60s and 70s, because, you know, legalize it, man. Uh, So uh, that's when that started coming around. And we're like, Hey, you know, we started kind of questioning the narrative. And noticed people were like didn't the united states government make this video and they're like nah nah until like the 80s when somebody found a copy of it and it's on youtube now so if you want to watch hemp for victory what do you um what's your take on that you know i mean not a lot of people know about that so i just i wanted to bring it up again but what's your take on that chris the uh, hemp for victory um fiasco and um, the fact that it was like pushed, it was push, push, push by the United States government. And now it's like, now they're just coming around to making a ruling that's only going to last a year and then they got to make another ruling. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, I, my take on all of that is like the U S government has a, a pretty shameful history when it comes to cannabis, just in general, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, the hemp for victory was, it proved that you know, that the government knew that hemp was a valuable plan and still right. this, this sort of, um, uh, overly strict regulation to persist based on social and political pressures of, of the, of the era, you know, it, it was legislation that wasn't based in science, which, you know, nowadays that's all they talk about, especially the current administration, right. Legislation based in science. Um, right. so, um, you know, it, it's the, the government's approach has always been the same, but I think, um, and even now, like like with the MORE Act, like we were talking about earlier, uh, there, just in general, uh, it, it's it's going to be a, a it's it's going to be a battle uh, with the government uh, to get what we actually want and what we need out of uh, cannabis going forward. Um, and right. that's you know another reason why why the IHG is around because we want to organize people and make sure they're aware of the issues that are really important both locally and federally
0: right yeah and that's another thing we talked about that you know the more act may not really even still see the light of day and what we're actually thinking may come i guess i'm saying we what i've seen people say uh, specifically marijuanamoment.net i think it was kyle yeager our great friend that we always uh re- you know quote his reportings but uh He was saying that uh, Schumer is trying to come up with like a mixture of the States Act, which had a bipartisan uh, support. It was basically just um, I think it had to do with banking, which is awesome, you know, because cannabis and uh, I'm sure it would apply to hemp farmers as well. I don't know. Do you guys do hemp farmers have uh, access to like aid programs and everything else? I mean, you were talking about the Illinois, the state level. Um, but do they have anything at the federal level yet?
2: Um, there's some, some yes and some no. Um, okay. And I think that banks have been friendlier this year than they were last year. I mean, they, yeah, they have that's had a- guidance, um, for like how they should be treating farmers, but also they just view it as incredibly risky.
0: So how is banking in the CBD industry? Um, I've only got another question. I've only got uh, another question for you, but that just kind of brought that up. How is banking? Cause I know banking in the cannabis industry is kind of fucked, you know? So how is it in the CBD industry?
2: It's, it's like I said, it's better this year than it was last year. I think a lot yeah. of, there's still a lot of policy out there that just doesn't distinguish between the two. And that we've had federal guidance. Yeah. We've had federal guidance on, um, on, you know,
0: basically telling
2: banks that this is an agricultural commodity and all you right. need to open up to all hemp growers for all reasons. Uh, any, hemp, any business that deals with hemp should be d- treated as any other regular business. And it should be of no concern to you that they're dealing with, um, hemp. But, right. uh, yeah, some banks just refuse to take the risk and I think people still have issues not only with banking, but also then with censorship on social media. Right. I think that's, that's been a big, uh, uh, a big deal that a lot of, especially like first, uh, not ancillary businesses, but firsthand hemp businesses, those that handle and process hemp, um, yeah. if they're posting content on social media, they, they have a tendency to get deprioritized or even taken down or banned. For Shadow it. banned. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, banking in the CBD industry is, is going forward should be much less of a hassle than in previous years, but, Um, you know, it's always something to look out for and it's, it's something you gotta, ideally you don't go in just like you don't go into farming, being a first time farmer and getting into hemp. Um, you don't go into banking, being a first time business owner and and being a hemp business.
0: Yeah. Um, so this is something we had talked about last time. Um, I didn't know if anything had changed and if, you know, or if you had anything, I guess, to share, um, and if not, it's totally okay. Um, but, you know, we had read, I think at the time, I don't even remember what it was. And, and if you don't either, again, we don't even have to get into it, but I just found it exciting. We were talking about the fact that Illinois, the Illinois cannabis industry, so adult use and medical, um, I guess cultivation centers could purchase CBD off of like the legal off of the legal CBD market, and, may, and I was—I think at the time I had asked you, like, is that why I'm seeing a you know an abundance of three to ones now? And um, I think one thing you had kind of commented that you wished, if I'm recalling correctly, that you wished would have happened is like um, a requirement that it has to be an Illinois-based um, you know farm. And I guess that doesn't really exist in the rule. Uh, but I guess my question is, have you seen any Illinois-based farms? um, kind of participate in the legalized Illinois cannabis industry in the way that I was hoping they would.
2: I have not. Um, if anybody out there listening has, please let me know. Um, we will, we will gladly promote you or, uh, you know, uh, we'd love to hear the story because, yeah. uh, I just think under the current scheme, it's just not going to happen. Um, uh,
0: yeah if anything you're gonna see them buy some cheap ass cbd right. from another state right you know, just buy bulk quality. oil
2: from whoever's selling it for the cheapest which in our case probably in illinois isn't you know isn't anybody around us unless they're trying to sell it at a loss
0: well we're okay. in illinois we've got some good farmers you know we grow quality crops that's why you don't see that crap around here mm-hmm. so well, I think <laughs> sorry i was just then, trying to be funny. It, no,
2: in that rule, I mean, we've recently made contact with the Department of Ag, and we actually hosted uh, David Lakeman and Joe Kinsler at our last members meeting. And, um, you know, they're the two, basically the two hemp representatives right now from the Department of Ag that you're, you, you need to reach out to if you have any questions. Um, and they, uh, they told us that they they renewed the policy. And I think they just they just re-released it actually. And David Lakeman's the guy who signed on to it this time. He he kind of took over for uh, Jeff Cox, who was uh, he was the chief of uh, medicinal plants for the right. Department of Ag. Um, but so David came over from I think Massachusetts, and um, he's he's so far he's doing a great job, and he's 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 made sure that he's trying to maintain as much consistency across the. Um, the rule set and the regulations um, as possible for everyone in Illinois. And, you know, their goal is to promote hemp and make it, um, you know, the number three crop in the state, basically. Like they, they want to see it become uh, every bit as much of a viable uh, farm crop as corn and soy.
0: Well, and uh, on that, oh, sorry, go ahead. No,
2: go ahead. You go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, you know, with it, with regard to it as being as common as, Corn and soy. You re- I wanted to bounce back to a brilliant thing you described in the last episode: the fact that it really goes hand in hand with corn and soy. It is a rotation crop. It, it can. I'm I'm going to butcher the rest of this, uh, but it's it can reinvigor the soil. You know, it can. Um, it can make things good for you. See, that's where I fall off the wagon. Uh, yeah. you, you you had described it the last time. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but that's just something really cool that I thought you described. It really does go. I mean, this is a crop that Illinois farmers should be utilizing is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah,
2: I think, uh, yeah, what you mean by that is it, it uh, it improves the overall health of the soil with uh, microbial activity, right? It it adds, it adds um, unique microbes to the soil that you wouldn't get otherwise. It helps like disrupt and interrupt the cycle of like certain soil borne pests it all it can also suppress you know weeds and um, uh, attract beneficial pollinators all of these things um, and it just it helps give the soil a break if you're especially if you're doing growing for fiber and you end up um, leaving some out in the field I mean it's going to add organic matter it's going to pull up things that other crops don't necessarily pull up depending on the type of your soil it's going to aerate the soil it's going to you know there's a lot of things that it's going to help with that um, i think i just read a study that came out that said you know farmers are cost costed billions a year extra um, in fertilizer use and uh, soil preparation uh, because the soil is so depleted that um, they're they're just trying to make up for what's not there Um, And hemp can help reverse that entire, you know, um, like depleting process. Um, It's not going to completely eliminate it uh, if if you continue to push the soil to produce, uh, you know, greater and greater yields with chemical inputs. But as part of a uh, organic transitional process, uh, as a rotational process, um, and especially integrated with What do you call it? Um, Rotational grazing. If you if you integrate it with uh, livestock, um, you'll improve, you'll greatly improve the health of your soil. And over time, you'll greatly improve your yields and cut down your inputs. Um, And, you you know, the research is is out on that like you can find all the research that proves, you know, over time. once you start doing these uh, holistic and integrated farming practices, or permacultural practices, as some people call them, uh, you're, you're going to end up with lower effort, higher yield, higher quality food, um, and a better a better environment on your farm. Less less machinery being used, less uh, less chemicals being sprayed, um, and just yeah, you know, a better habitat for your crops, your critters, and then all the wild wild critters and pollinators that are going to be coming by because you're, you're turning a factory farm into a scene from Snow White.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Um, and, you know, I would have said that, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity. No, I'm joking. I couldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, that's that was very well said. That was very well said. So thank you for re- re- uh, recapping that because um, that's important, I think, for people to know. Um, and I want to, yeah, wanna you got to keep your eyes on
2: the prize, man. And that That's the, that's the, uh, I think everybody has that in their mind when they think uh, of farming and hemp it's it, that, you know, I can never forget that. That's our, that's our mission statement right there is, you know, let's get away from factory farming. Let's do things right. Let's make it easy and let's make it better.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, like you, just to wrap back around to what I think you said at the beginning of, or towards the beginning of this uh, conversation um, where you said it, I made a joke about Randy Marsh turning into a farmer. You said something about that. It really goes hand in hand with farming and there, there you go. I mean, that, yeah. that right there is just, it's the really gateway puts, to farming. It's uh, the gateway to farming. That's what you said. That's what you said. That's beautiful. So um, guys remind us where we can find you online. Um, I know I said it a few times, but um Just for folks that maybe want to join or keep in touch, remind us where we can find the Illinois Hip Growers Association online.
2: We are at illinoishga.com. That's I-L-L-I-N-O-I-S-H-G-A.com. And that's where you'll find our blogs, our forum, all of our members, and any events or, uh, yeah, especially upcoming events. Um, There's a lot of virtual events happening. Um, So please check us out on that. And um, if you're interested, you can become a member. If you're a business, you can become a sponsor Um, and we have tons of free content on our website, Um, you know, seed catalogs and um, research papers and just slideshows and all kinds of fun stuff, maps. Um, So yeah, just check it out.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely check it out. Um, And it, you know, if you guys are thinking of buying, CBD products or anything that you might think has hemp related to it, check out hga.com because they've you know they've got their members and sponsors listed and most of them um, are local. I noticed you know some of them are like you said uh you know Missouri or whatever, but that's still local enough. You know, help us throw a dollar their way. So um, just wanted to plug that you know before you go to like one of these national distributors, like check out the Illinois, uh, it, check out some of the partners that illinois hga has. illinois hga has sorry i'm really high i am having trouble talking so um we try to you know toe the line of professionalism and also getting just blasted you know it's just right on that line of can we keep a good conversation going and i think we did today yeah. i think it was well very that's what that's
2: what editing's for
0: yep that's right that's right you know but i will say i don't i don't do much editing you know <laughs> we kind of keep it all in there you know just to show you, you know we give them the raw look at uh who we are we're just we're just people you know I, we well, try yeah, to tell I, people all the time that we're not you know perfect so we want to really show that
2: <laughs> yeah well i think the best podcasts are always uh, they have a very conversational feel to them um and you know, I appreciate that. It, it feels more genuine to me when you, you leave a lot of stuff in. And I mean, it's it's the same as if you're on the phone with us, right? That's a lot too, is, you know, you can call us, call us, leave us a message, or maybe we'll grab, we'll, we'll pick it up right as you're calling and you'll be pleasantly surprised that we are available for a conversation to help you with whatever questions you might have about hemp.
0: Yeah. That's that's awesome. Especially if for what you do you know you, you're there for a lot of people so that's 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 great so thank you for joining us today um we really appreciate the conversation and the depth that you know you went with us and i learned a lot today i i really did so i hope that folks that are listening found value in this episode um yeah so check out the illinois hemp growers association at dot hga.com once again that's at IllinoisHGA on twitter um and Instagram, and um, yeah, that's that's kind of a wrap. That's the show. So, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris and Rachel, for joining us.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you, Cole and Justine. I know Rachel is pretty quiet for this one, but uh, I think I did her. Proud. Well,
0: we'll we'll give people some context because you know people sometimes people listen back. It's uh it's really fucking cold right now in Illinois and you, you know, water lines burst. So Rachel's busy, you know, we, we get it.
1: So yeah. I'm actually, uh I just finished getting dressed. I got to get outside and get the birds put away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, farming life. So we yeah. get it, Rachel. Thank you though for, you know, tuning in nonetheless. And uh we're going to stay in touch because we love the relationship, uh, the professional relationship we have with you both. So.
2: Yeah. It's always tons of fun being on the podcast with you and Justine and you know, anytime you uh, you feel like getting a hemp education, you know who to call.
0: Hell yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, Chris. Rachel, you guys take care.
1: You Thanks. too. All yes. right, thank you. Thanks.